Well, good morning again, church. If you have your Bibles, let's open those up to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. It's good to be back with you guys this morning. I, while I did appreciate the, uh, the break and the opportunity uh, that I had to be away with my family, and I'm grateful that Brandon uh, was able to come in, and I appreciate the job that he did. It's always good to be back with the church. And so I'm grateful that I have the opportunity to be with you and see your faces again. Uh, opportunity to open up God's word with you. So uh, this morning, uh, we finished up Acts chapter 1 last week. That was broken down into two uh, different sermons. And in the first part of that sermon, we had Luke's introduction to Theophilus. Uh, we understand that he is writing this so that Theophilus could understand all that was told to him uh, about all that Jesus uh, did and everything that had happened since Jesus' resurrection. And so 40 days had gone by. Jesus had commissioned his disciples, telling them that they would be his witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then he ascends up into heaven. And then after that, Brandon preached on how the disciples came together and they chose who would be the, the person who would take Judas's place. And so from there, we are in the process of, of seeing what happened as they waited. Jesus told them to wait in Jerusalem for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And here in Acts chapter 2, we're going to see what happened uh, when the Holy Spirit fell. And so let's read that together. We're going to read verses uh, 1 to 13 this morning. So Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. It says, When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. When this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one of them heard them speaking in his own language. They were astounded and amazed, saying, Look, aren't these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia, in Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts. You've got Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. They were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But some sneered and said, They're drunk on new wine. At one point, before I was educated in seminary, I thought that the term Pentecost was a, a Christian term. Like I didn't know exactly what it meant. So someone would say Pentecost or they would say Pentecostal. And I thought that everything that went down on this day was given the name Pentecost by the early church. The reason for that is because of the associations of the Pentecostal denominations that we have now 
Um, so I thought that maybe, you know, Pentecost had something to do with speaking in tongues. Like, I don't know, like maybe the word meant the day of tongues or something of that nature. I just, I wasn't sure. I'd never studied the book of Acts. I'd never heard anybody preaching through the book of Acts. Um, so what I didn't know is that the, the holiday of Pentecost is actually a very important holiday to the Jews. Like, I was not aware of this. Uh, I'm guessing it was probably when I went to seminary that I first learned that Pentecost is one of three major feasts that are always on the annual calendar for Israel. So every single year, they would do three major feasts. Each one would involve a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. You've got the Passover, which we talked about while we were going through Matthew's Gospel. And then you have the Feast of Weeks that is spoken of in Leviticus 23.15 and Deuteronomy 16.9. And then you have the Feast of Booths, which is also seen in Deuteronomy 16. Now, out of those three... Pentecost is the Greek name given to the Feast of Weeks. And the reason for that is because the feast takes place 50 days after the Passover. All right? The Greek word for Pentecost means 50. And so I'd never made that connection. I never tied that in before. So to keep the timeline, the biblical chronological order uh, in mind here, Jesus' death and resurrection took place at the Passover. While we were going through Matthew's gospel, we discussed how God timed all of this out perfectly in order to present Jesus as the perfect Passover lamb. Remember when we talked about that? So Jesus is the perfect Passover lamb. He goes to the cross on our behalf. He took on the wrath of God for everyone who would repent of their sin and put their faith in him. And then through his death and resurrection, Jesus conquered sin and then he conquered death forever for those who believe. And then after his resurrection, Jesus has gone around presenting himself to the disciples for 40 days. He's presenting himself. He's speaking out about the kingdom of God. And before he sends into heaven, he tells them to wait, await the day uh, that the Holy Spirit is going to come. So they are told to wait in Jerusalem for the coming of the Holy Spirit. Okay? And the timing of the Holy Spirit's arrival is not a coincidence. Jesus wants the disciples to wait for this holiday. Why? Why would he want them to do that? Well, we see that there's two reasons found in Acts chapter 2. Right? You've got one that is practical, and you have the other that is symbolic. All right? The practical reason is that Pentecost was a feast that celebrated the harvest, and people from all over the known world would have come back to Jerusalem in order to celebrate this harvest festival. Right? It was a commanded pilgrimage. So they would have come from around the world to this place in order to celebrate this harvest festival. Jesus has already stated through the Great Commission and through Acts verse, chapter 1, verse 8, that he wants the gospel to go out through the entire world. Right? So this is going to be uh, a worldwide thing as the gospel goes forward. So pardon the pun... But in this harvest festival, the fields would be ripe for harvest, right? As people from all over the world would have been present 
in this place to hear this message. And there's the symbolism. You have a ripe harvest that actually does occur. We're going to see this later in Acts chapter 2 as 3,000 people hear a message that Peter preaches. We're going to look at that next week. 3,000 people hear this message and they come to faith in Jesus. And so at this harvest festival, the kingdom of God reaps this harvest. And so the kingdom of God grows by 3,000 people. And so we get to celebrate two different types of harvest in Jerusalem at that time. The end of the actual harvest and this fulfilling of the, king, the filling of the kingdom of God by 3,000 people. And we, we get to see this amazing work of God as he weaves in and out of our time. Right, making these connections for his people so that he can best utilize things that people would connect with to make provision for his kingdom. Isn't that cool? Okay, maybe it's just me. I thought that was pretty cool, but that's cool. Uh, but what about God's methodology then? Right, We've, We see his timing, right? This is 50 days after the Passover. Jesus hangs out for 40 days, and then he, he leaves, and the the disciples were meant to hang out for a few more days until the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit falls. And what do we see there? Craziness. Right? We see craziness happen. Right? In these verses, we see Luke struggle with a way to come up with a good explanation of what occurred when the Holy Spirit descended on the disciples at Pentecost. I mean, notice what he says when he describes what happened, right? He didn't say that there was a violent rushing wind. He didn't say that there was actual fire that fell on the disciples. He, he said it was like these things, right? It was like that there was a, a sound like a violent rushing wind. There was, it was like there was tongues of fire that fell on these people. What happened to the disciples on that day was so out of the ordinary that as they were trying to explain to Luke what happened, they didn't have words for it, right? So they're trying to, they're doing the best that they can to make comparisons. Well, it was like wind, but was it wind? Well, no, but it was like wind. It sounded like wind. I don't know how to explain it, but it was like wind. Well, what else happened? Well, it was it was like this fire fell. So you're saying that fire fell on you guys? N no, but it was like fire. I don't know how to I don't know how to explain it, but it was like fire, but it wasn't either of those two things. But what we know is obviously clear is that the Holy Spirit has arrived. Right beyond a shadow of a doubt, the Holy Spirit is here. This is what the disciples had been waiting for. And we know this because wind and fire imagery has been normative for God's presence throughout all of the Old Testament. We see wind, for example, wind has been a, an image for the Holy Spirit and fire has been an image for the presence of God the Father throughout many different places that you'll recognize. For example, the Holy Spirit is referred to in Ezekiel 37 verses 7 to 10 when it says... So I prophesied as I had been commanded. While I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. As I looked, tendons appeared on them, flesh grew, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. 
He said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man. Say to it, this is what the Lord God says. Breathe. Come from the four winds and breathe into these slain so that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me. The breath entered them. Talking about the wind entered them. And they came to life and stood on their feet a vast army. All right, so in this prophecy, we see the breath of God, the Spirit of God coming over these dead bones, and they come to life. The breath that entered that, these dead bones is the Holy Spirit. And then if we jump into the New Testament, Jesus also connects the wind with the work of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 3. Right? In John chapter 3, in verses 5 through 8, as he's talking with Nicodemus about salvation... There he says, truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases. He's saying the Holy Spirit goes wherever the Holy Spirit pleases. And you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. So we see this imagery of wind and the Holy Spirit. Fire is an even more prominent uh, image in the Old Testament as God presents himself over and over again as fire. You have uh, Exodus chapter 3, right? In Exodus chapter 3, you have God presenting himself to Moses for the first time in the burning bush. This is the, the I am who I am statement right where Moses had to take his shoes off as he approached because he was approaching a holy place God he approached a bush that was not consumed but it was on fire right again you see in Exodus 13 as God is leading his people Israel through the wilderness you see that he is there as a pillar of cloud during the day and then at night he's a pillar of fire and then again, Exodus 24, when Moses goes up onto the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, right? there's smoke billowing out from that, and it says that God appeared at the top of the mountain as an all-consuming fire. All of this is meant to point out that God's presence is now within His people. Right? The Holy Spirit is there. The presence of God is there. Throughout the Old Testament, there was always this sense that God is always present. Right? We've talked about His omnipresence, right? always present. So God is always around, but now, through the coming of the Holy Spirit, God doesn't reside near us. God comes to live within us. All right? So this is a completely different animal so to speak like this is the birth of the church and because of that we are now the temple of God right we are the temple of God Paul says this to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 6 19 to 20 he says don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is within you whom you have from God you are not your own you were bought at a price so glorify God with your body before the coming of the Holy Spirit, you had to go to a special place to officially be in the presence of God, right? Like the high priest had to go into the inner sanctum of the temple, right? The Holy of Holies 
to be in the presence of God. And then he could only do that after going through all the ritualistic, he had to wear the garb, he had to go through all the ritualistic washings in order to go in that place. And he was only allowed to do that once a year. And to, to do that, he had to, like if he messed up while he was in there, he's dead. Right? The holy of holies. You don't screw up while you're in there. And he would do that to atone for the sins of the people. But Christ's death ripped a curtain apart that separated the rest of the temple from the Holy of Holies. Now, God's presence is completely and always for His people, with His people. Now there is nothing separating God from His people other than the willingness to repent and bow our knees to the Lordship of Christ. Right? There's nothing that separates us from God now. There's nothing that separates a non-believer from God except an unwillingness to repent of sin. We don't have to go to a special place. We don't have to offer special sacrifice. That sacrifice was given forever and for always on the cross. And if we will repent of our sin, if we will bow the knee in lordship to Jesus, then the Holy Spirit will come and live within us and He makes us the new temple of God. Right? Like, God doesn't, I don't know if you know this or not, God doesn't live here. I've heard, I've heard people refer to, and not just here, but just in general, like this is God's house. This is not God's house. Right? This is God's house. You, if you are a believer in Christ, are God's house. This is the building that the church assembles in once a week so that we can worship together. But this is God's house, not this. So, with the disciples now being the new temple, with them now being the home of the Holy Spirit, they immediately begin speaking in tongues. The people of the world who, had, who were in Jerusalem for this harvest festival, they hear the disciples speaking in their native languages. I mean, this is crazy. This is not a normal occurrence. <laughs> this was a supernatural act of God that was meant to work at that time, in that place, for the purpose of capitalizing on the Feast of Pentecost. Right? The Holy Spirit falls. All of a sudden, these people, it seemed like they were in a room somewhere. The Holy Spirit moves in them. It seems to have pushed them out into the street. And all of a sudden, these people from all over the globe hear about the magnificent works of God being proclaimed in languages that these men should not have known. I mean, it's amazing. Now, we have to remember, Brandon last week mentioned that when we study Scripture, especially when we study historic narrative, right? The book of Acts is historic narrative, right? He, he's telling us what's going on, right? We might find some commands in there for us, but mostly he's just describing, Luke is describing what happened to the church. So, when we, do, when we read this, we have to remember that there are certain things that are prescriptive and there are certain things that are descriptive. All right? Something that is prescriptive is God telling us what to do. Think about when your doctor gives you a prescription. He is prescribing you something. Take two of these and call me in the morning. Right? 
And so think the great commission and the great commandments. Right? This is prescriptive. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Prescriptive. Do these things. Something that is descriptive is God sharing with us the amazing things that happened at one point in history. Okay? We're not necessarily meant to repeat them, but we are meant to learn from them. We are meant to be amazed at who God is through these things. And this outpouring of the magnificent acts of God that people heard in their own tongues is not something that always occurs when new people come to faith. Like we don't come to faith and all of a sudden someone starts spouting out in languages that they don't know. It doesn't always happen that way. Right? The Holy Spirit always comes to live in the hearts of the new believer, but it doesn't always lead to that new believer speaking in tongues. But sometimes it does. All right? I don't know what that stirs up in you. That might make you feel very uncomfortable, but sometimes it does. I've heard numerous stories about people who have gone out to share the gospel in a place where the gospel has never been shared before. They go out with interpreters uh, because they didn't speak the language at all. And as they go out and as they're sharing the gospel, all of a sudden the people are like, I don't need you to speak. I can understand them. Right? They don't know the language, but they're hearing the language in their heart language. Like, I've heard numerous stories about that throughout my studies in seminary. It's still happening today. Right? It's strange. It's different. But they don't need the interpreter because they can understand what the person is sharing with them about the kingdom of God. But, so, with this as in almost every aspect of our life, we should be wary of extremes. Okay? Right? The pendulum swings heavily, and we should be concerned if we find ourselves at either end of this spectrum. Okay? Like, we should be very much in the middle of the road most of the time in most things. So we should watch out for anyone who makes the Word of God say something that the Bible doesn't actually say. Okay? And the Bible never says that speaking in tongues is normal for every believer. It never says that, nor does it say that it would never happen again. Okay? But there are certain Christian denominations that like to go to both of those extremes. Right? Some will say that you've not been baptized in the Holy Spirit until you have spoken in tongues. Right? If it didn't happen for you, then you have not been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And they typically mean a different type of tongue that is spoken of here. It's more of uh, angelic utterance is what they're usually referring to. Uh, we don't have time to get into all that today, uh, but it's, in that, it's still in that same category, all right, where, where the Spirit moves and people start speaking in some type of language that they don't know. Um, and some say that all of these supernatural gifts like tongues and like prophecy, they ended when the Holy Spirit came and when the church was firmly established, right? And I'm not in either one of those camps. I'm not. I would put myself in what we, we should call the open but cautious category, okay? Open but cautious. When the Bible is present and the church is established, I don't see why God would use those supernatural gifts as much, right? I mean, we have his word in our hands. 
I don't see why we need prophetic utterance or why we need tongues to be spoken in here in this place when we have the word of God in our hands. I mean, like we all speak English in here. Why would we need tongues in this place? We have easy access to numerous English Bible translations. We don't need to speak in tongues. But in instances where new people groups are being reached for the gospel, especially in places where the church has never been, absolutely, why not? I can absolutely believe that God is using supernatural means to reach those people. Right? When you hear stories about people who have never once had the opportunity to even meet a Christian are dreaming dreams about Jesus, like why wouldn't tongues be used in an instance like that? Right? Where they have no easy access to the gospel, I can absolutely see God utilizing supernatural means for that to happen. Right? I can see that. In fact, honestly, it wouldn't surprise me at all if, an, if someone from an unreached people group walked through that door right now and someone turned around to greet them and started saying the, the, preaching the gospel to them as they came through that door, it wouldn't surprise me at all for that person to say, I hear you speaking in my language. Like, how do, how, how do you know that language? Like, that wouldn't surprise me in the least. And I would love to see that happen. But I tell you, who was surprised at this? Everybody else that was at the Harvest Festival that day, right? You've got thousands of people who have come from around the world, they're in Jerusalem to celebrate this harvest festival and they hear a bunch of uneducated Galileans speaking the things of God in their own language. And they were very surprised. They were very surprised. Galilee is a nowhere town. Right? There's, I mean, it's not a central of commerce. There's no reason for these men to, have be, to be educated, to have studied for any reason whatsoever. So to hear a Galilean speak Egyptian or Arabic would have been astounding to anyone from Egypt or from an Arabic, Arabic country. Like, why would you know how to say that in my language? I mean, this is obviously a work of God. And we learn through Jesus' ministry that he often uses miracles to pave the way for the message. The miracle is not the point. It's never been the point. The miracle has, has and always will be to point to the point which is the gospel. Right? The fact that the Son of God came to live among us, to live the life that we couldn't live, to die the death that we deserve to die, to rise again so that he could conquer sin and death on our behalf. That's the point. And that's what's being proclaimed here in all these other languages. And if anything is going to be amazing to people at this point, it should not be the fact that they hear this in their own language. It should be what they're hearing, that God cared enough about them to send their, his son to die on their behalf. That's what's amazing. Like, have you met me? I have, and I'm awful. Like, that's what's amazing. Not that, that some dude over here could speak in a language he didn't know, but that God would come and die for me. That's amazing. But some people don't see this as an act of God. I mean, again, like, I find humor in a lot of things. Uh especially the book of Acts. I love the book of Acts. Um, some of these people 
are amazed by this. Some of it, some of them, they look at this and they don't see it as an act of God. They see it as an act of alcohol somehow. Right? Everyone's down, standing around. They're being astounded. They're perplexed and they're wondering what's going on. Right? And then some highly intelligent people come to the conclusion that this isn't an act of God. This is an act of alcohol. I mean, Peter's going to address this. I don't know what your life experience is like. I've been around some people that have been imbibed in some alcohol before, and they have not been able to speak other languages that uh, they didn't know. Um, most of them lost the grasp of their own language. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't, <laughs> it didn't come out like this. Uh, so I find it hard to understand how they came to that conclusion. But that's the conclusion that they came to. Some people will come up with anything to avoid having to deal with what God is doing in their presence. And so we'll get into that a little bit more uh, next week. Peter is going to give an amazing sermon, and I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, but what do we do with this? Okay, what do we do with this? Uh, we've already stated that this is mostly descriptive, right? Very few of us, unless we go get the opportunity to go into some of these unreached people groups, very few of us will ever speak in these tongues, all right? But what if we do? I mean, that's cool. But what if we're not one of those people? What do we do from, how do we apply this here at Oak Grove? And I think there's uh, a big takeaway that we, can be, that we can see throughout the entire chapter of chapter 2. Uh, and it's to look at what the Holy Spirit can do. Right? To be amazed at what the Holy Spirit is capable of. Um, so I want you to... If you walk away from this with anything, right, uh, the, these men from Galilee who were not educated were able to teach people from around the world about the wonders of God without any bit of study on their part. So I want you to understand that God doesn't need anything from you other than your presence and your willingness to be used in order to help fulfill the great commission right that's the big takeaway that i want you to take from verses 1 to 13 here all right we have been commissioned by god to take the gospel message to the world and we have this tendency to think about how insignificant we are right we have a tendency to think i'm lacking this or i'm lacking that i'm not eloquent enough right i don't have the right words i'm not smart enough Right? I, I'm not versed, well versed enough in apologetics to answer every question that might ever be answered about, asked about the Christian faith. Right? I don't have all that. The Apostle Paul, who was absolutely brilliant, had this to say in 1 Corinthians 2 1 5. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with 
persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. It's all about God's power. We often get lost in our fear. Right? We often get lost in our fear and we refuse to share the gospel because we have this mistaken belief that it is somehow dependent on how well we do. Right? We wonder, well, what if I say it wrong? Right? What if, what if it doesn't come out right? What if they challenge me and I can't answer their question? Right? How... How is it going to be possible for you in any way, shape, or form to persuade a dead heart to come alive? You ever tried? Right? I mean, even if you did it physically, you have to work super hard to get a physical heart that is dead to come back to life. Have you ever seen somebody do CPR? I mean, it's crazy hard to get a physical heart to come back to life. We're talking about a spiritual heart. You have no ability to do that. None whatsoever. That's not how salvation works. Salvation doesn't come from us. It doesn't come from our, our words. It doesn't come from any kind of works that we have. It doesn't really have anything to do with us other than our willingness to proclaim the truth. The Apostle Paul again says in Romans 10, 14 through 19, how then can they call on him they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him. It's about the proclamation of the gospel. How can they believe if we won't take the message? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message. So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. God doesn't need you to be smart. God doesn't need you to be eloquent. God needs you to be willing to share the message. Be willing to go out there, put yourself on the line, and speak the truth about the gospel. If we will be obedient to the commands of Christ and do what He calls us to do, the Holy Spirit who enables us to be obedient to the work in the first place will make much of the kingdom of God through our effort. The Holy Spirit works through the proclaimed gospel to change lives. Are you uneducated? Are you from a small town that gets no respect like Galilee? The Holy Spirit can use you. Do you get tongue-tied as you think about sharing this with people that you care about or people that you're afraid of? The Holy Spirit can use you. It's just a matter of being willing to go forward in obedience. Right? The power and the presence of God changes everything. Right? Wait until you see Peter. Wait until you see Peter next week. Right? You've got Peter witnessing from the reality of Jesus' resurrection. You see Peter witnessing out of the reality of the presence of the Holy Spirit in his life. It's an amazing transformation. Right? Not completely without his problems, right? as Paul rebukes him to his face. <laughs> but 
something similar happens to all the disciples. Like all these men who were so afraid of being associated with Jesus are out in the middle of the street in Jerusalem proclaiming that magnificence of God that happened through Jesus. What's different? The resurrection of Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit. They listened to the Lord. They waited until the celebration of Pentecost when the city would be full of people from all over the known world. And then after this amazing outpouring of the Holy Spirit's presence and power, suddenly, suddenly there are people all over the world that are proclaiming the truth of the gospel. That's amazing. What did the disciples contribute to all of that? Obedience. That's it. Right? They didn't know the language. They contributed literally nothing else. Nothing. They were moved by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit moved them out of the building into the street and proclaimed the gospel through them. They contributed nothing but being where Jesus told them to be until the Holy Spirit showed up and the Holy Spirit took care of the rest. Right? What could God do through you if you would just be willing to be obedient to the commands that he has put on you? So the question that I'll leave you with is, are you being obedient to the commands? Right? Are you pursuing after God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind? And are you loving others as yourself? If so, that means that the gospel message is going to be proclaimed. Are you doing these things? If not, then we need to repent. And then after we repent, we get to work. And if you're doing this, praise the Lord, the Holy Spirit is doing mighty things through you that you may never even get to see the benefit of. But the Holy Spirit is working through you. Know that that is happening. Let's pray together. Father, I am amazed. <laughs> amazed at what the Holy Spirit was capable of at Pentecost. But I'm more amazed that the message that they proclaimed means that a sinner like me can come to faith. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here today who is now sufficiently amazed at the cross of Christ, I pray that they would repent of their sin, that they would come to faith. And Lord, I pray that you know, maybe there's everybody here is a believer, maybe everyone listening online is a believer, and or maybe it's at this point that we just need to be obedient to the word, that we need to listen to the commands that you've already given us, and that we need to look and see all that the Holy Spirit is going to do through our acts of obedience. And I pray that we get to see that. I pray that we get to see a magnificent work of the Spirit for the kingdom through this church. And I pray that we get to see people healed. I pray that we see people come to faith. Many people put in the waters of baptism. Marriages healed. Whatever it needs to be, God, I pray that we get to see that through the Holy Spirit's presence here. Help us to be a praying people, a going people. Lord, I want to see it all. And I want to be able to do nothing outside of your power. I want to put it all on you. I want to see it. I want to experience it. And I pray that you would empower the rest of us to have that passion as well. Lord, I ask all of this in your son's precious name. Amen.